Hi, everyone, and welcome back to SCORE's podcast, Inside College Admissions. On today's episode, our strategic advisor, Peter Van Buskirk, is going to interview one of our high school counselors. Peter is the owner and founder of Best College Fit and brings over 25 years of experience to college admissions. He's also a contributor to SCORE's blog, so make sure you check out his work there, too. Now over to Peter for today's conversation. Welcome to Inside College Admission, conversations with college advisors about matters affecting the college-going process. My name is Peter Van Buskirk, and I'm joined today by my good friend Kate Asgari, who is the Director of College Counseling and Academic Dean for grades 11 and 12 at the Overlake School in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, Kate. How are you? Hi, Peter. Thank you. I'm, I'm well. We're, I'm on the other side of letters, so every college counselor knows that that is kind of like finishing finals in college. You just kind of want to go out and celebrate. So I'm glad to be doing it with you. The other side of letters. What does that mean for you? That means, you know, one of the better parts of the job is that you get to know students so well. And at the Overlake School, for us, that starts as early as middle school. We're in middle school through high school. You see them in productions and on the court. But our primary partnership begins as an academic dean in 10th grade and then continues all the way through senior year in 11th and 12th, we're adding college counseling to that partnership. And letter writing is a process of coalescing. You kind of feel like Nancy Drew, um, for those of you out there who may remember her. There's a bit of Sherlock Holmesing that goes on and you're piecing together a student's story. And so I think every college counselor is probably an author waiting to get out. And so you publish a small novel each year. This year's letters averaged about two pages per student, and at 40 students, you have a lot of letter writing to do, but in that storytelling, you're trying to capture the arc of their experience, the things that make them unique, their drive, character qualities, and in the end, you get to know them really well. I think we are the ones that are hugging the hardest at graduation because these students become really, really close in a way that teachers don't always get to know in a large classroom setting. It's a very intimate relationship. And so the other side of letter writing means that those 40 for me and 40 for my colleague Tanya letters, um, we have about 80 students in each class. And that's on the small side. There are schools that are certainly much larger. And the Overlake School has the good fortune of being able to have a dedicated college counselor Mm -hmm. for each student, dividing the class roughly in half. So those two pages become really a a map of their life through high school and all of the stories that make them who they are. And all of those pages together are the beginning of your novelette. (laughs) That's right. And times the number of years you work in college counseling or college admission. We have also, I think, real appreciation for the college admission officers. Many of us have been college admission officers, Peter, you and I certainly as well. And so we know what it's like to read those letters and want to make it a meaningful experience on both sides. You wish you could be there to experience it because some of these letters are really as hilarious as the kids. <laughs> and just trying to capture that spirit is part of the challenge and the joy. I would imagine that it's the challenge and the joy in any year, but now this is 2020, the year the the, the coronavirus pandemic and a lot of other things going on in our world. Have you seen any measurable changes in the way you've been engaging in your work? your letter writing, your advising, et cetera? You know, I I think people moved quite quickly to all of the things that would be terrible about a pandemic climate. And I am one to sort of 
find the middle path. And that is to say, certainly, nobody gets into this work to be working from home and not being with students. But for college counseling, part of the challenge and the joy, so to speak, was to simply transition what we did to what we're doing today, this online setting. We are face-to-face in MS Teams or Zoom meetings just as much as we would have been at school. And so we pivoted quite quickly, and that took a nimble college counseling team. You know these students are better at using technology than all of us. So when students and faculty and counselors have questions, you just go to the, go to the student and say, okay, how do you do this? Um, but truthfully, we left, uh, we followed suit with Microsoft last spring, early March, and have not been back to school since. We're still in an online teaching climate. We got word that we will not be back any sooner than January, and even that is a big question mark. And so that meant we moved online, but what we found in college counseling is that it is just as intimate. And in some ways we can provide better access to students who had real time constraints during the day. We've seen more college counselors than ever before because not all of them had the funds, the budget or the time in their schedule to travel. And so in, in many ways, this online climate has had a silver lining of good. Certainly there are things that we all wish would be different and many of us want to get back to the world that we remember and the face-to-face time that is part of being in a school. But for college counseling, I think it's made it more dynamic. Uh, we can do, we record all of our meetings, programs, and events, and we can reach out to colleges, universities, do programs we couldn't have typically done to get everybody. Peter knows what it's like to get to the Overlake School, which is almost to Canada by the time you get to Seattle and keep driving. And so I think we've all been really struck by how quickly we pivoted to that world. And I think in the midst of this, we're all trying to model for students that life is messy. And boy, has 2020 been messy. But if we learn how to pivot and move through hard things, that is one of those life experiences that will carry you more than your grade in biology, more than the quiz you studied for in physics or AP English. What we hope to be imparting is that they can see us, students can see faculty and staff struggle, but also move out of that learning pit to have advanced beyond perhaps better than where where we were in March. Well, it does sound like the pivot has been a successful one at Overlake, uh, certainly from the vantage point of, of how you're able to reach out to students and support them. But how about the pivot on the part of the students? Because a lot of the things that they would be doing certainly your current seniors right now would have been doing over the last eight months of relative to college planning uh, aren't there the way they used to be. The, the, the college visits, the open houses, the college reps visiting Overlake School, college fairs, etc. Uh, all the traditional opportunities for students to, to meet representatives and, and get some sense of, of the institutions, they're not there. How, how are your kids reacting? How are they maintaining their progress through their searches? Or was there a point at which perhaps they felt a little stymied and, and frustrated, uh, or did they just move seamlessly into an online world? No, of course there are going to be hiccups and pitfalls along the way. You know, I, I want to frame that differently because the fairs in their own way continued, right? But in an online setting, mm-hmm. programs, meetings, and events at Overlake continued. In fact, we just had a really fantastic gathering. The Seattle Area Independent Schools gather each year to host a college fair. And certainly 
by about June, we knew that that was probably not going to look like it used to, and we better start thinking about what it might turn into. And so we pivoted to an online setting, tied it to one of the NACAC Fair college days, and invited all of the students and families, these are juniors and seniors and their parents, and we built panels with college representatives who typically attend that fair. And we tried to build it differently than what you'd experience at a traditional college fair, where these were effectively breakout sessions to talk about things like, okay, COVID, now what? Or you're in the thick of your common application and what are your questions? Um, what about financial aid? What about STEM at liberal arts colleges? Does small mean less access? And so forth. And in that climate, we saw better attendance than ever before. More juniors who would typically be intimidated to come to that fair with a bunch of seniors who kind of know the ropes and know the way. So in that regard, much of what they're used to at the Overlake School and many of the independent schools in the Pacific Northwest have continued. Um, that has to do with resources, certainly. It has to do with faculty and staff who are being supported by their schools and a very clear set of guidelines set out by the leadership and administration of those schools. That all helps. We're not hopping on one foot trying to figure out what to do next. But you know, tacking back to your question about students, I would add faculty and staff to that mix. For every day that you're moving forward and feel like, like you're making progress, there are those days where you look out into the world and you watch the news and you see what's happening or you read what's happening and say, wow, how am I focused on something like AP biology or college planning when these very important matters uh, are happening all around me? Those are, those are huge questions. And the overlay of the pandemic has also meant an acute amount of attention on things that maybe the school day would allow them to step away from. And so I, I think every family and student uh, and individual is going to move through that in the way that they can, in the way that's best for them. But I will say to the good, the Overlake School, although we're closed and will not be returning to an in-person or hybrid setting for the foreseeable future, has successfully worked with the state and our health and epidemiology planning team to say, okay, what can we do? And so we do have a series of in-person retreats that we'll be rolling out across the month of November, right when it's nice and cold and wet in the Pacific Northwest. Nothing, nothing like getting outside in your polar tech, but we'll be, it is optional for all students, um, regardless of grade, all the way through middle school and into high school, sort of focused around the homeroom groups that we're organized around and will be happening in small waves. The school's been broken up into our colors, green and gold. And I say that simply to share, you're figuring it out as you go. And at the beginning of the year, while retreats were not part of our plan and we thought we'd be in a hybrid model, here we are. And to your question, Peter, the students really, the middle schoolers particularly, really just said, we wanna see our friends. That would make such a difference. And it's not the same to do it online. And that's true. And so um, I appreciate that I work in a climate of adults who are willing to say, well, we've never done this before. Let's make some mistakes together. And we're, we're safely moving forward into that space in the month of November to gather and to also check in, check in on those kids you wanna put eyes on, all of them, frankly, but the ones that are most acute to make sure that they are surrounded by their peers and that they are not alone. I'm wondering, again, speaking of the students and, and their parents in this process, are you sensing any change in enthusiasm for the, the process? Not, not that 
college, there should be less enthusiasm about college. But given the, the plethora of responses instructionally on college campuses from, you know, remote only to some sort of hybrid to changing the calendar, um, there's a lot of uncertainty about how things will be offered. Now, certainly the, the students who just started this fall are living it, and students who are junior and the current seniors thinking about next year are, are probably hoping, well, it'll go away by the time we get there, so things will be back to normal, um, which may or may not be true, but uh, do, do you sense any any kind of change in orientation on the part of families to how they embrace the college process now? I mean, I, I think we all have heard the lingo Zoom fatigue to the good, colleges have been more accessible than ever before. They've really made such a remarkable transition to this online world, put resources, information, sessions available 24-7, right? Mm -hmm. But with that comes exhaustion, that you can overindulge and then push away from that climate because it's a little too much. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think everybody finds their middle path. There, there are some students for whom there is no quit, right? They are going to start in ninth grade and just keep on sort of tackling their college search, you know, one step at a time. But I, I think the overwhelming sense with the senior class, what hit them like a tidal wave unexpectedly, long after their admission decisions had been made, of course, there's trepidation stepping into a year where college counselors can't realistically say, well, based on our history with these schools and these outcomes, Here's what we think will happen uh, without testing on the table, without students having a chance to visit colleges and universities that might have led to something like an early decision plan. There are so many questions and we're all good at talking about that mindset that pivots, but being in it all the time for the foreseeable future has an exhaustion attached to it that is real. And so we see those waves. We're in it right now. 11-1 is a major college deadline for early action, early decision schools. And that follows, you know, 11 11-30, 12-1, and all the way into January. And at Overlake, we are seeing a similar trend toward the early decision plans because it is a relatively privileged population. Many of those students may have visited long before these campuses shut down. But there is certainly a question from colleges, you know, what will happen? Colleges don't have the test scores to be able to know who's out there in this pool, other than students adding schools to their Common App or Coalition or score account. They really don't know. And so I think there's a lot of consternation on both sides about what will this year be like. But what we've tried to say is their story, colleges did a wonderful job of explaining that they realized that the spring looked and felt different. Summer didn't have the same kinds of types of engagement that students may traditionally be a part of, but you know, there is this wonderful outcome also of students being encouraged to go and pursue things they're really passionate about. And whether that's cooking or whether that's hiking or whether that's trail maintenance or the books they hadn't gotten to, there's been this lovely resurgence of students actually asking themselves with uninterrupted time, how would I spend it? Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited to see what that will mean for colleges because spring and summer was certainly less varnished. It was not as collated and compressed into that quote, perfect story that what you're getting is a real sense from a student of what might they do. And that might lead them to something wonderful, not only at Overlake, but beyond. 
and has led to some interesting independent studies that have grown out of the senior class. I, following points of passion. Um, maybe it's what we needed to get back to something that was less curated. And that may be a good thing from the college side and for the kids. Absolutely. Talking about things that have changed and are different for the kids, testing has certainly started to, to look different. And uh, good heavens, over the last 10 months, we've seen, what, a 60% increase in the number of institutions that have said, we're going to make testing optional this year, which is a bit of a sea change. Uh, and some would suggest it's a, a sea change that will continue to uh, develop uh, in the coming years. But, but for now, we've got young people and their parents who have seen the result of the test or the fact that you sit for the test as a rite of passage. And now colleges are saying, you know, if you could do it, great. But if you can't do it, don't worry about it. We're going to make it optional. How's that all going over for your kids? Sure. You know, I think you hit on something which is true, and that is that rite of passage. Whether we like it or not, it has become such a part of the vernacular and the expectation for a senior to have test scores. The majority of these students have colleges 201 that were all test optional. But that didn't change the mentality that there might be an edge to have a score. And that's not a rational response. And I'm speaking specifically for the senior class. It's not a rational response. That is, hey, colleges and universities, you've always said this matters and this is how you use it. This is how you attach it to merit money and so forth. And so there was a disbelief on the part of relatively grounded, educated, informed folks about testing. And no amount of conversation from Nondorf's wonderful letter this summer saying, hey, this is what test optional means, and this is what it means in a holistic climate for college admission. The response wasn't rational. And what that became for many colleges, excuse me, for many students, was unfortunately leaving the Pacific Northwest where it was not safe to test and traveling far and wide, getting on airplanes, driving to Montana and Idaho and Southern Oregon. And that certainly isn't safe either. And so in retrospect, I think most college counselors would have appreciated a very clear line. We're not test optional, we are test blind. We are not using tests this year because it is not safe for many of you to travel to do so, or at least a moratorium on places where you physically can't travel to take these tests. But that's not what happened. And so to sort of balance that energy, the Overlake School and many of the Pacific Northwest Independent Schools did move to offering a single ACT and SAT test date in October. Those are sanctioned by the test companies. And that is because our students couldn't find open test centers anywhere. Because again, it's not safe to take these tests. And so the danger, of course, is students putting their lives on the line for a test that is optional. And then your faculty and staff who are proctors being pulled into that scenario to do it too. And looking ahead at the junior class, the class of 2022, we've just got to do it better. If we know come spring that we are not going to be moving into a safe climate to test, let's not do this all over again because we know better this time. And I think many college counselors have been imploring colleges, make your decision sooner. This isn't something you can wait until summer to decide because students have started prepping for tests this fall, this winter, this spring. Um, what Overlake will do if we do not have word from the colleges, we have a January, uh, December check-in meeting. We're going to offer yet again for the junior class a spring single-time test date so that if these tests are required by anyone, a student would have it on record. 
but certainly encouraging the student to use the test optional policy if they opt not to send that test. But the, the struggle is real and the choice is one that nobody should have to make, particularly now that we'll have moved through a year of holistic admission. So many schools through the FAIR test organization, as we know, have successfully moved to a test optional or not requiring tests at all. And certainly the University of California caused waves when they pulled back from the test and said for these next few years, we won't be offering or using a test. I think we all know and we're waiting and watching to see what that means for the testing industry. You'd mentioned something a few minutes ago about test optional and then you followed with test blind. And the test option is a concept that's been bandied about for years, 30 years probably. Yeah. Test blind is fairly recent label attached to a practice of some institutions. For those listening, how would you differentiate between the two? In a test optional climate, uh, students may decide to send a test score if they have one on record and it will be used. Often they would of course send one only if it's to their advantage. In the test blind scenario, even if a student has test scores and frankly, even if they choose to submit them somehow through the Common App or in their college portal, colleges will simply not review or add to their dashboard or use test scores. They will even the playing field for all applicants to say test scores are not part of our equation. I think that's great. And, and I think it'll be very interesting to see in the coming years in light of schools becoming test optional on an experimental basis, how many of them will find that indeed this is a, a new rubric, the test option that they can live with comfortably and, and, and productively. So it'll be interesting to, to watch the development of testing in the coming years. But in light of that, as testing has taken a backseat this year, and maybe just this year, but a backseat in the decision-making process, and given the disruption that's taken place in many classrooms around the country, as a former admission officer, how do you see admission officers filling the gap and having to make difficult decisions in, in a selective process? What do you think is going to become important then in the deliberations? You know, I, I think for you and me and others who have come from that admission side of the desk, so to speak, we know that that job has always required difficult and nimble decision making, and that so rarely was it ever about a test score. Uh, the, the media would like us to believe that is true. Some testing organizations would like us to believe that is true. But the reality is that those are always very finely tuned decisions, right for the institution, right for institutional priorities. But that testing, if it was part of the process, was a part of the process, and sometimes a sliver of the process. Certainly for schools that used a cutoff, used testing as a barometer, and, and frankly had too many applications to possibly read all of them, that is a very real challenge and something will replace that. And that, that is a question of what will that be? Sure. But on the other side, the majority of highly selective colleges and universities, and then that next tier of selectivity, they're always looking at the context. Although tests have been in the mix, that was never going to be the determining factor. You and I both know that there are kids with perfect test scores that get turned down because they lack the story or the fit for the institution. And so that hasn't changed in this climate. And the Overlake School and other college counselors who, who do this work have spent a lot of time educating, trying to explain to students and their families and not just 
us explaining, but bringing in college admission deans and directors and admission officers to have these conversations, to put it in real context and to explain what goes on behind Oz's curtain, to pull that curtain back a bit. And I think it's been helpful um, for students to recognize the transcript has always been king. It has always been your four-year performance, three years plus your senior coursework, that has been first and foremost. And then the arc of learning through that. You know, where did you start and where did you end? What is the rigor of that transcript? And then the importance of writing, because that, that analysis through your math and science classes and the writing that's going to happen in probably all of your classes is going to be what helps prepare you with foundational skills for college. Most colleges are paying attention to that more than they'll ever pay attention to one day, one test, one score. Uh, I, and I would agree that looking at the, the heart of the person is, is uh, something that's always been part of the holistic admission process. My sense is, to your point, that there will be more effort being made now to, to really understand you know, who is this person who lies behind you know, the, the transcript and the, and the numbers, et cetera. Which leads me to a final thought. And your, your seniors right now are probably going through the final stages of uh, dotting the I's, crossing the T's on their essays. Those essays perhaps have taken on an even greater importance this year, have they not? I think they've always been important. <laughs> There's nothing like a pandemic to send kids home during the summer and give them time to work on those writing samples. So anybody who was listening to our June workshop knew to get started sooner rather than later so that they weren't rushed to figure out their story. But I would agree that colleges can, should, and will pay attention to those writing samples and they'll need to help a college understand the student's story, you know, well beyond their scores, well beyond their grades. Who are they and what might they contribute to a college or university? Did they answer the question that the college posed or was it a copy and paste? And, and that attention to that level of detail does matter. It's why we try to work with students to be very careful about how many colleges they put on a list because you can't possibly do justice to 20 plus schools on a list well. Um, eight to 12 is a tall order. And so when students are really thinking about where they're, they're applying, when they're struggling to answer a question um, or really resisting an application, that's usually a tell that they may not be the best fit, right, for that climate. And what we try to help them work through is life's full of hard decisions and we don't, we don't walk through all doors. And even if you get admitted to these schools, you're still going to have to make a final decision, which means saying no to all these schools you love. Mm -hmm. And the sooner we can move to that place of that being a part of life, a part of a life skill, I think the better that we are helping students step into their young adult selves. And what we model at school, certainly at home, is how that shows up in a student. You know, they, do they pivot and bounce due to a setback? or due to the difficulty in struggling through how to answer an essay? Or do they hit that wall, slide all the way down, pick themselves back up and try again? And the try again will serve them well. And that's what we're trying to cultivate. Life's a journey and along that journey, <laughs> lots of opportunities to, uh, to pivot and, and, and run or to, to slide and recover. 
So it, it sounds like the, the, the young people at Overlake have some really good guidance in you and, and your colleagues. And I, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your, your letter writing process to help everybody understand better how things are working on high school campuses now in, in the era of uh, COVID-19. So Kate, thank you again for your time today. And for those listening, I hope that, that you've taken some, some good nuggets out of this conversation that will help you with your planning process. We'll hopefully be getting together again with some other experts in college planning. So stay tuned. In the meantime, I, I wish you all good days and be sure to be safe. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Peter.